Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Family Life Canada podcast. I'm Neil, and this is my wife, Cheryl, and together we lead Family Life Canada. And in this episode, we're really pleased to introduce you to a couple and an organization that we've recently become aware of, and, but it was sort of like, where have you been all of our life? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we needed you a long time ago. Uh, Jeremy and April Pryor are the founders of Family Teams, an organization, a uh, ministry that provides training and resources for families. How long have you guys been married? We just had our 23rd anniversary. 23 hey, years. You have five kids. You live in a multi-generational home in Kentucky with Jeremy's parents. So many things to it ask you, but, but welcome. Welcome yeah. to Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here with you guys. This is, uh, this, we lo- love this topic. Yeah, and, and you know what? People are longing to have the best, healthiest, strongest families they can. And you guys have a lot to say. So we're just going to get right after it, okay? So um, you talk a lot about um, seven-day-a-week and Sabbath and family teams. Would you uh, flesh out those concepts for us? Okay, start with family teams. What do you mean when you say family teams? Yeah, well, in a lot of times people don't really consider or think about their philosophy of family. Like we all just kind of assume we're experts of family. We've all grown up in a family. And so the, a question almost nobody asks is, what is a family? Um, and, and so uh, what we discovered, and April I met in Jerusalem and really through a lot of our encounters with other cultures, um, sometimes you don't know your own culture until you've encountered you know, another culture. You kind of look back and go, oh, that's what we believe. Sure. Um, so what, what appears most Western people believe that a family is a springboard for individual success. And that's kind of uh, just a general way of thinking about how a typical Western person thinks about family. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question that we began to ask when we started our family was, is that, is that the way God sees it? Is that really the way he designed it? Um, and that's a fairly modern, fairly recent idea of family that really our goal is to launch out kids um, and have them experience their individual success. And then we start over every generation. And those families tend to have about an 80-year memory. They don't tend to know who their great grandparents are, for example. That's not very relevant to this kind mm-hmm. of a family. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really recent idea. The the biblical idea um, and the classical idea of family, um, we like to describe as a multi-generational team on mission. So you see that all the way back in Genesis 1 when God created the first family. He gave them a mission, and he told them they had to accomplish it over multiple generations. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule. And so they were given all three of those components way back in Genesis 1. And then the rest of the Bible, when it refers to family, always refers back to that model. And that's not a model that's unique to the Bible. Like I said, it's really common across the world and in almost every classical culture. And so the question that we began to ask is, did we discover something in the West, a superior way of doing family? Um, And that's why we've abandoned this ancient and biblical idea. Um, Or... Did we just forget the blueprint of family, what it was? Um, and and that's the reason why this experiment seems to be going off the rails. So when we talk about a family team, what we're describing is a group of people who are trying to live their life through their family as a team. And you'll see this kind of family emerge in pretty much independently everywhere in the world when there's uh, sort of a survival 
um, risk. So, and you tell us even with COVID, people started to kind of collapse back to their family, back to their home. Mm-hmm. You know, lumber prices went up yeah. because people are like, we need, you know, what we That's care right. about is where we live and who we're, but as soon as there's uh, multiple generations of great stability, um, families tend to get weaker, individualism gets stronger. And so we start to redefine the family. And yeah. And so that's kind of what's happened. And we're kind of taking a step back saying, is that a good idea that we've done that? And what have we lost in that exchange? When I listened to that, I thought ringing in my ears was how many times do we say uh, two people get married and go, oh, you're going to start your own family. Right. You're not starting anything, right? Like you're in the middle of something. Isn't that kind of what you're talking about? Exactly. Yeah. We're continuing. Yeah. We're stewarding a a family line, um, which that, that, that is the way that people usually thought about family and it's, it makes sense why divorce rates are so high, why impermanence in families or structures in families are so uh, fragile because you don't, you can imagine um, two scenarios. Like, like if you think about divorce, one scenario is, you know, you get, you're about 20 years into your marriage and you think about family as a one generational project. You've raised your kids for the most part and you're struggling with your spouse um, and you're looking into the future and you're wondering, is it worth continuing? And so we're seeing this enormous rise in, in divorce. The, just this week, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates was yeah. announced that they're getting divorced around this kind of season of marriage. It's very common. This the, the kind of divorce around the 25th year of marriage is, right. has like almost doubled in the last 20 years uh, because you feel like uh, there's, not, you're not, there's not a lot to lose at this point. Um, now, contrast that with somebody who feels like they're stewarding a multi-generational family line. And, you know, so this family has been going on for hundreds of years and now the baton has been passed to you. Mm. And, uh, and so you're stewarding this amazing resource and you're, you're passing it on to your children. And for you to destroy that in one generation would just be like a shocking, like, why would I do that? So these are totally different models and, and one really needs permanence in order for it to, to thrive. The other uh, almost per- the permanence can feel like it's actually getting in the way of my own individual life and it doesn't feel worth it. So very different ways of being family. Yeah. And I, we, I, I love the new way of thinking of it. I, the new old way, right? <laughs> uh, but I'm guessing that, that it's really challenging to sort of start uh, return back yeah. And, and I, I'm guessing that that's a lot of the coaching that you provide for families is, is once we've kind of adopted a new model or want, are looking for a new model. And I guess my question to you is how do you practically coach families to shift mm-hmm. gears and start seeing things in a different way? Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk to that. It's a huge, yeah, it's a huge uh, challenge. I mean, a big part of what we're, we do is you kind of do have to start from the beginning and have almost this really big picture conversation. We call it kind of the decide conversation. Like Mm -hmm. you have to, most people never think about having to decide what kind of family they want. Um, And so that's that we encourage people to actually think that way. Um, One of the reasons why that's such a critical thing to do is virtually every structure in our culture is designed around assuming around the individual, not the family unit. So schools, churches, even shopping, um, you know, we just, we break people down into their uh, same age groups. Mm -hmm. And, and so we're, we're obsessed as a culture, individual sports or whatever you're into, it's like, you're doing it as an individual. And so you need to decide what kind of family you're going to build, because if you're going to build the springboard for individual success kind of family, sort of the nest metaphor that sort of everyone flies away from and does their own thing, 
um, then everything in the culture is going to kind of align with that idea. But if you're going to try to be a family team, um, you're going you're gonna to be fighting upstream a lot. Um, and so we, a lot of the coaching is, okay, you really need to make that decision. And then there are tools you need to bring online that will help you reinforce that decision. Yeah, that's right. April, can I ask you maybe specifically some ways that that plays out? Now, just, we should just tell you that you're kind of preaching to the choir when you're talking oh, yeah. about multi-generational living, at least. We live, we share a home with our kids and our grandkids with one of our sons. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, which That's is, awesome. we love. Um, but I'm, get, I'm just, I'm, I'm sure you mean more than just living with your parents when you talk about multi-generational. Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about kind of what that looks like in, in day-to-day life or what it might look like. It kind of leads into what you were asking at the beginning about the seven-day rhythm, sure. like seven-day family. That's one of the biggest tools that we um, use ourselves and then that we like to hand to people um, when we're coaching them. And it's the idea of that um, way back when God was establishing um, the world and creating everything, that he established a seven-day rhythm. And uh, one of those days, it kind of revolves around this day of rest. And then there's like the six days of work. And then you come back to the day of rest and the six days. And so um, we've really uh, dove in, dived yeah. <laughs> into that idea and um, figured out what, how to live rhythmically. Um, what is a Monday like? What does it look like? What does a Tuesday look like? What does a Wednesday look like? And so forth um, in our weekly rhythm. Uh, culminating in a day of rest and what is a day of rest like? And that's a whole nother conversation about how to rest, how to rest with little ones, how to, you know, how to rest within your own heart, get some soul rest going, all that. But um, once you uh, can establish a rhythm in your home, it helps you be so much more intentional about all the things that you um, want. If you're going to make this decision about we would like to start living multi-generationally we'd like to start living as a team maybe you can't do multi-generational yet but because you still need to figure out what it is to be a team at home first and and how you can structure your days or your evenings even um to start small with uh you know just different ideas we've thrown out brainstormed many different ideas with many different couples about depending on the stage of life they're in and how old their kids are about what that could look like to establish a rhythm so, so am I hearing maybe a great first step for anybody who's listening is decide and then, and then work on your own family team? Because, of course, living multi-generationally may not be possible, right? I mean, right. dad are still working and live in Toronto. Uh, the kids live in Vancouver. You know, I mean, that's the way it is. But you can work on your own family team first, right? Yes, yes. That's right. And one thing, another tool that we like to give people is like the once a week family meal. So, um, just for us, it happens to kick off our day of rest. So we have our, um, soon we'll be getting ready for our, um, weekly meal that we have as a family. And then it kind of kicks off our week, but some people get really overwhelmed with all the different, what changes that they could make to like become a family team, but start with one meal a week where you can, um, you sit around the table and everyone is, who they are in the family. There's a father, there's a mother, there's a son, there's a daughter or how, daughters or sons. Um, and you're able to have that time kind of struck like very protected 
and slightly structured and something that everyone really looks forward to. Um, so that it's a kind of like a pivotal point in your week. And if you can start to, and you can tweak it every week, you don't have to do it totally right the first time. If it, if it messes up somehow the first time, then try it again the next week. Um, make it different somehow, like, you know, use a tablecloth maybe, and you don't use it the other meals that you have, or you use it, you light a candle and like other nights you don't light a candle, that kind of thing. You have special drinks, something to make it kind of unique. And then it's something that kids look forward to. And it starts that kind of like anchor to the idea of something weekly. And I'm sure you have lots of resources and lots of, um, kind of tips for, for families that are getting started in, in some of these things. So we won't go into too many details on, on kind of the how. But you'd find that at what? Familyteams.com? Is that right? Yeah. And we, we have a course called The Seven Day Family, which kind of just walks you through how to live in a rhythm. Because Beautiful. yeah, a, a big reason why we try to bring a tool like that online is because people, a lot of these families aren't, um, they don't have tools uh, through which to live their family kind of through through the, the household. A lot of times the way that we live is we all live our individual lives and then we kind of retreat to the family. It's a very different way to live as a family team where you're kind of proactively or intentionally starting as a team and then moving out into the world in a coordinated fashion. And that's where a rhythm can be very helpful as a tool. Mm-hmm. I can see all sorts of um questions about what happens if your generational line is really dysfunctional. Um, Do you kind of have to, you know, draw a line in the sand and start fresh and begin to build a healthy line? Or how do you counsel people in in that regard? Yeah, there's definitely kind of upstream and downstream generations. So Um, One of the things that God said to Abraham was that he was choosing him so that through him, all the families of the world will be blessed. And and so you may be, if you're listening to this and you feel like, man, upstream, that generation is not very healthy. Um, I don't know how if integrating is, but God wants to save your family line through you. And so it's important to understand that you you do get an opportunity to begin to restore things uh, back into the kingdom of God through what God, God is doing through you and through your children and through your grandchildren. So I think it's really good to model that kind of upstream honor whenever possible, just like in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, um, and model that for the downstream generations. But we all are going to, you know, if we live, um, you know, to a ripe old age, we're all going to experience, you know, the, all those generations. And right. so it's really, um, you're establishing things oftentimes. And so there's usually like two different kinds of generations. Some people find themselves as an Isaac and Rebecca generation. And that means that when they look upstream, they're not the first generation that's real of faithfulness. And so there's a lot of opportunity for integration, but some people are an Abraham and Sarah generation, which means they are kind of, you know, God told Abraham to leave his father because his father was an idol worshiper. And so he, he was really starting over, but he had an incredible blessing on his life and his generations. And so our, you know, our, our highest model of sort of multi-generational fatherhood um, he couldn't really include his upstream generation. It was all downstream for him and for Sarah. Boy, that that makes sense. That's that's really good, and I think that's really important for a lot of people listening uh, who are going. You don't understand the family I grew up in, or right. Right. generational brokenness that I'm dealing with. You know, that's a great word, and so people got to grab that. I, I want to um, uh, ask you a question. I was really struck by this in, in it, uh, when I read some of your your stuff. And when you referred to uh, the individual in the family, 
used the phrase, he said, when we go out from the family, we're not leaving the family, we're representing the family. And right. I thought that was a really rich concept because I started thinking a lot of people go, hey, here's family. Maybe we even have breakfast together as a family, but then everybody leaves the family and goes to do their mm-hmm. thing and then comes back to the family. And you're positing a, a different way to think about that. That's right. Yeah. So you can think about what identity you inhabit when you when you do walk you know, outside the family home and start to do your work. So for me, for example, um, I can basically say, okay, as Jeremy, I'm leaving the family and I'm now individualistic Jeremy and I'm working and, you know, I got a, you know, maybe my corporate job or I'm an executive somewhere. And so I'm, I'm inhabiting that identity when I leave the family. Um, but what I think and what I really learned, especially when you study someone like Abraham is he never saw himself that way. He never, his, all of his, uh, individual identities were really underneath the umbrella of his fatherhood. So he would always see himself as a father when he's negotiating, you know, a deal or when he's working during the day, he's not, he's not ceased being a father and started being, you know, an executive or a worker or a herdsman or something else. All of those, all of those identities were nested underneath this identity as, as a father. And that's the way that, again, most people have thought in most places in history, most times in history. Um, and, and that's, this is a very modern idea that, that I am now leaving my family identity behind and, and you look, it's really interesting, you know, when Jesus was on the earth, he was constantly talking about himself as a son, as a representative of the father. There's that great story, you know, where uh, Jesus tells a parable where this guy leaves uh, his vineyard and just starts to send various tenants back. And when he, they all get kind of beat up by the tenants and they get thrown out of the vineyard. And then finally the father says, I'm going to send my son. They will respect my son. Um, and this is Jesus talking about himself, like I am coming to represent the family and I am embodying my sonship while I'm here on the earth. When we hear the word son, culturally, we usually think of a child in, in, in first century Jewish culture. When they thought of a son, they thought of, uh, you know, the, the highest representation of the, of the family, the, the, the heir of the family line, the next generation um, and the re- and re- representative of the father. Um, and that's a very different way of thinking. And I, I think that that's, that's, that's an option for us. I think that, I don't think that, that this is a, this is a sort of a religious rule. Like you must think about your life from these identities. What, what was really shocking to me was I never felt like I had that choice. Like to me, because I was raised in a hyper individualistic culture, I assumed I had to embody my individual identity everywhere I went and that it was somehow unhealthy for me to, to, uh, exist outside of the home inhabiting my family identity that felt like like somehow that I was doing something that was that was unhealthy and 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 when I began to read the scriptures this way and and read history and study family cultures throughout history um, to understand that this is actually the way most people live and have lived then then I had a choice and I and I for me what I chose to do is, is say well I think I would rather live as a father everywhere and all at all times um because I find that that identity um, infuses my work with a completely different sense of purpose. It, it, and it integrates me completely as a person. Um, and it helps my family to feel integrated with me. And so when I'm going after work, it's like my family is sending me to go off and, you know, make money for our family. To, to And so all of this is, instead of this being divorced from my family identity, it's all integrated into my family. I found that much more uh, satisfying and, and it, it made me feel much more like a whole person. 
Well, and I can see incredible implications for children, many of whom mm-hmm. in our culture just really have identity issues and, and yes. who am I and where do I fit? And um, yeah, I see tremendous benefit in having their identity be not just as an individual, but part of a, a, a bigger family. And, and to go to school or to your sports team or your yes. choir practice going, I'm representing my family. This isn't me doing something outside my family. Mm-hmm. I, yes. I am. No, that's rich. Okay, but I need to take it to the granular level yeah. because I can, <laughs> I can hear a bunch of parents listening and saying, okay, yeah, but how? How yeah, do I do this? Yeah, yeah. How does this work? What, what day-to-day things look different with this perspective? Yeah. I know, we, I know there's a big language transition that, you know, mm-hmm. really helps cement the kids in that. How, how would you describe that? Yeah, I think um, we... When the kids were little, um, our kids now are ages 12 to 21, but when they were all younger, mm-hmm. um, we used the language, started introducing the language of team, or like I would say, if we were getting ready to do like chores or work together or something like that, I would say, okay, mommy needs her team, everyone come here, and that kind of thing. And so transitioning into like um, the priors are leaving, let's go, like that kind of thing, like um, even just saying our name often and um that the like making sure that they understood that their their roles in the family was a big deal explaining to each one of them speaking truth over them so like um you're a peacemaker and in our family when there's fighting and arguing we need to you are going to come in and you're going to help us make some peace instead of make it worse <laughs> that kind of thing so a lot of talk about um our family needs this skill from you to because you're contributing to the whole um and so when you're we don't want to take away from the whole and by arguing or whatever so it kind of gave us a whole perspective of like we're all this is a you have to have a lot of conversations about what type of culture you want in the home um and then have the language revolve around, you know, you tr- transition the language that you use. I, I think one really critical uh, element as well is I think it's really important for the kids to choose voluntarily as they're yeah. getting older to want to think about themselves as being a part of that team. Mm-hmm. And we wanted each of our kids to have the freedom to do that because I think you can you can um, enforce te- like one of the it's some of our best experiences as you know as kids as being on a team, right? Like if you ask a lot of people if they played sports or they were, you know, in, in a drama team or choir, or like there was some kind of team environment in which they, they just, the sacrifice that they were making for the whole was a beautiful experience. Um, but what's, what's different about family is that we, we don't get to pick our family. We, we find ourselves born into a family. And, um, and so what oftentimes is true about those sort of sports experiences or artistic experiences if we're experiencing them as a team, those were usually voluntary. Those were experiences that you got to choose. And when you voluntarily sacrifice yourself for the good of the team, um, it, it had an amazing, uh, you had, you had an, it had an amazing impact on you and it was a, a great experience. And so we want our kids to have that experience where like we are a team. Uh, April and I have decided to be a team. As God has added, you know, children into our family, um, we, we are inviting them into that team experience. And so they get to experience that culture as young children. But as they're getting older, we really want them to, um, to love this team and want to voluntarily sacrifice for the sake of the team. But it needs to be voluntary. And are you um, learning that as they get older, that they're still aligning with these values? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to watch because we're I feel like we're in the thick of it right now. Yeah. So um, with each watching each one and choices, and so Jeremy calls it giving them rope. <laughs> And I'm like, really? Are you sure? <laughs> Is that a good idea? <laughs> How long should this rope be? <laughs> so um, it's definitely, um, you know, I, I feel almost, you know, like like we're still in the thick of it, figuring out. So we have 12, 15, 17, 20, and 21. And so um, watching them, the older ones choose what the, uh, as they are introduced to choices and options, what they're choosing. Like, do you want to come to Shabbat every Friday to our family meal every Friday night? Um, or do you not, you know, that kind of thing. And so far it's there, that definitely is still, I would say the anchor for them is that weekly Mm -hmm. family meal that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're, you know, everything from like work choices to where they're living, all of those things, they, they run it through the filter of the family. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, we yeah. have that perspective uh, is such a great kind of philosophical grounding that you have or theological grounding. But I think we implemented a lot of that in our family. But we did notice that there was a season when our when our boys, we have two sons, seemed to need to kind of carve out their own space. What we've noticed is as they've gotten older, launched their own families, mm-hmm. they really want to be part of the multi-generational system in a a really wholehearted way again. And so it was almost like there was a season where that Mm. wasn't as important. They sort of needed to kind of paddle their own canoe or Mm. carve their own uh, uh, identity. I'm not sure. So maybe that's not necessary. We just observed that. And and so we live next door to our son who's 41 and they got three little kids and it's fascinating seeing how they are sort of replicating some of the things and we were not near as intentional as (laughs) this. But it, it happens. And and so, you know, carving out a night, like they have a family night, which we forced our kids to do uh, <laughs> because we just wanted to. Yeah, and, you must be better at it than we Yo, you're way smarter. <laughs> <laughs> listening to this. Okay, so uh, the priors are in the thick of it. Our kids are 41 and 36. We've watched them put into the families that they're continuing. See, I didn't say start, right? The families they're uh-huh. continuing. Yeah. And, and they're they're doing some of this stuff that meant something to them. So people grab mm-hmm. a hold of this and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Yeah, it, it is a really amazing. I, I think I think it's great to have those options for your kids to, as they're getting older, um, live in and through the family. And and that can be a ministry. That can be through a family night. That can be through business. You know, and different initiatives you do. Um, and so we just decided. As we were getting older, just we wanted more of our uh, our time to be spent in in um, in different efforts that could involve our kids, and we didn't ever wanted them to feel like pressured or forced into something. So April owns a quilt shop um, with her mom, and uh, and our oldest daughters loves that business, and so they work together, you know, twenty thirty hours a week. Um, my son Jackson is really into real estate, and like he's he, he's in the trades, and so. We started a little real estate company, and it's not my full time thing, but um, but it gives us an opportunity to work together a lot. And it's you know we're both kind of working at it part time, and it's something we get to steward together, and and you know a project we get to work on together. Um, you know those are those are ideas. Um, we do ministry projects with our family as well. So, but it's it's really when you start to think of it this way, um, you start to figure out are there small ways we can begin to orient ourselves even with a younger family. 
so that as our kids are getting older, they, they can have those options. And I do think it's really healthy for that, those doors to be, um, you know, they can go in and out of those doors. And so they do need a season where a few years they're living, you know, more individually and they're working things out. Um, that's actually really healthy so that they could feel that sense of like ownership over the decision to come and be a part of, you know, family activities as a team. Mm-hmm. We only have a few minutes left. We don't want to take too much more of your time. But so we want to ask you a couple questions about your Christian faith. How much does your faith inform the way you do family and marriage and family? And mm-hmm. clearly you, you found a lot of direction in, in the word and, and actually in the Old Testament models. But day to day, are there spiritual practices? Uh, how, how do you kind of live that out day to day in your life? How'd you say that? Um, oh, I would like to think um, that our faith is the foundation of everything we do and um, how we approach our days, our time, our money, all that stuff, the way we interact with people, the way we structure, um, well, our days. And so some spiritual rhythms that we have in our home are... Um, Well, I get up before the kids. Now that I'm sleeping through the night and have been for years, (laughs) I can do this. So if you're a mom of young children, don't feel like this is something that you have to do. But um, I have to get up before the kids and really connect with the Lord personally um, before I can like feed and I need to be fed. And so I connect with the Lord. I know Jeremy spends a lot of his morning with the Lord. Um, journaling and worshiping and um, that kind of thing. Not hours on end, but, you know, at least there's a chunk of time. And um, then I try to spend time with the kids um, that are still, we kind of think of our oldest two as kind of like not really a part of a lot of the rhythms that we do on a day-to-day basis because they have jobs and are not in school anymore. And so our, but our younger ones are still in school. And so I spend a lot of time with them still, just doing different types of spiritual rhythms with reading scripture and we're reading a C.S. Lewis book right now and discussing it and things like that. Um, yeah. And then we have a, we have a, a weekly family kind of Bible study on Mondays during our dinner time. So we all read the same five passages every week. And then it's just like a discussion while, while we have dinner. Um, so that, that's been a really life giving rhythm um, for our household. And then, um, our Sabbath dinner, we always have a uh, kind of like a how does in, we really want to infuse the day of rest, not with legalism, but with the gospel. Like we're this mm-hmm. this is something that Jesus through what he did on the cross, we get to receive a soul kind of rest. And so we basically try to preach the gospel over our family every every Sabbath um, during on Friday night. Um, and we bless my fa- my dad comes and he blesses all the sons. My mom blesses the daughters, uh, or April's, April's mom blesses the daughters. We kind of the oldest, you know, kind of matriarch or patriarch of the family uh, do that. Um, so that those are really rich kind of ways of, of infusing our family with, this is all for the glory of God. We, we're trying to experience a taste of his kingdom. All this stuff is from him. This is not us at all. This is all a gift. Um, really wanting our kids to believe that as God blesses our family with life and health and all kinds of um, other kinds of generous blessings that we, we want our kids to be shaped by the gospel first and not, you know, not the other stories that could really kind of taint or 
their faith, believing that, that we somehow deserve this or that we're smarter than others or we're better than people. Like It's like, no, this is a complete gift from, from God. Um, and we get to inhabit and experience the goodness of God through this family so that we can, you can express that to the world. Yes. That is a great cautionary word, right? Lest uh, the blessings create pride in us. Like, that's right. Look at our family. Yeah. Uh, boy, that's a great caution. Yeah. I wanted to ask you um, one thing. Neil, it was actually part of a think tank yesterday, and the, the phrase that the word came up, families. Um, Have you heard that before? No, I haven't. They're, they're talking about consciously trying to blend uh, your family with the friends that affect your family hmm. into this sociological impact called family. I think yeah. it was an interesting colleague. So my, my question to you is, if you don't have a biological family that's really a place of health and wholeness that you want to uh, live in an integrated way and you're trying to change the dynamic, could is that a way you could kind of add some multi generational layers into your your family life? Yeah, well, this is it. Really, is clear that you know Jesus's first sort of description of what this new community was going to look like when he was talking to the disciples is right after the rich young ruler had left. He, you know, he told them give up everything, and the disciples were like, "We've given up everything to follow you." And then Jesus's response was, "You're going to get a hundred times more fathers or mothers and children and fields and houses." you know, with those persecutions and then in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus's vision, we looked into the future was this giant abundant family. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this is the cost of not having, um, of losing contact with what a family is, is that, is that this is not just for us or for us, our biological family. This is really, this is the kingdom. God has expressed himself as a father. Jesus has expressed himself as a son he has described this new community as this new family of families. And so that this it's very important to us in our rhythms that there's lots of open doors into our family so that people that don't have those experiences can't experience them. So we try to live our life with a larger community that includes, you know, other believers and also some non-believers that are seeking out some of the blessings of the kingdom as they're on that journey. Um, so like those open doors are critical. We've, we kind of had to, to get our core to a certain level of health first, because um, we wanted to make sure that what we're experiencing and expressing was kingdom culture, you know, forgiveness and love and peace and grace and not, you know, selfishness and, you know, um, or other things like that. And so as the gospel has been transforming our family, then those doors have been able to be opened up and we're able to to involve more and more people into that, into that experience. So I, I would definitely... That's part of why it's really important to us that it's a multi a family is a multi generational family on mission, yeah. and, and what we want to be really careful of is that that mission is a part of it. Like we need yeah. our job is to extend the goodness of the kingdom of God to the world. It's not just to inhabit it or embody it or enjoy it uh, just ourselves. Yeah, and my observation would be just that when you are such a place of health, people are just probably <laughs> flocking to you. Yeah. We kind of um, use the word outpost. We like to think of our house as like a spiritual outpost. So we've worked for 23 years on like establishing roots and what does that mean? And um, being a place of uh, resource for like meals and a place that has a comfortable couch and things like that for, and now that we have two kids that are in the, what you might call the singles um, world that they can bring friends back to and, and things like that. Um, and in, they're unfolding their, um, friends that are newlyweds and things like that. And so we're able to 
um, enfold Mm -hmm. a lot more than we used to be able to, like our ability to do that is expanding. Um, so that's been really cool to see that, that part of the outpost. You used the word doors several times and you just used it in that last description, right? You said you like to have a lot of doors in, into your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that's such a great metaphor because uh, sometimes we run into people who really mean well, but they don't want any doors, man. They, they want, you know, impermeable walls right. around your family. Mm-hmm. Keep yeah. everybody out, keep them in. And, and uh, you've just given us just a, such a different image and it's so good. Hey, we love to give people sort of one, one last... Uh, on the bus kind of question. So I'd love to hear each of you respond. Last comment to the people out there who are living in the midst of their family stories. Mm. Uh, What's one good word for them and whatever is on your heart. It's an encouragement or a a piece of wisdom, whatever you got. Mm. Yeah. Get one. (laughs) (laughs) I always love the, I I always, I want to tell people to start from here. Like don't get, don't compare yourself to another family. Um, every family is different. You know, we have a, we have a bit of a sort of a problem that sometimes when people start at third base, they think they've hit a triple, you know, kind of, um, (laughs) situation. And so sometimes you look at another family and, and they've been following the Lord for generations and they've come from such a healthy place and they might feel like they're farther than you are. And, and that can be very discouraging when you think that you live in an individual story, but because we are inhabiting a multi-generational family story, we don't, we don't like our job is to make sure that, you know, our ceiling is our kid's floor. And that means you're starting from wherever you're starting from and to embrace what it means to make progress in your generation. Um, every one of us started from a place like that. And so you can do so much in your generation. So compare yourself, you know, to, to where you were, not to where another family is. Um, and you can make tremendous progress. So, so don't be discouraged. Start from wherever God has you today and really steward this family line and take it take it to the next level. Um, and you can do that. Oh, so good. I love that. And I would say um, family is the long game. Mm. So don't um, be too bogged down by the ebbs and flows of the seasons and um, persevere because it's worth it. Oh, man, so good. Thank you, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I wish we had had this conversation, you know, 40 years ago, but (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much for what you're doing and for sharing this with us. And Mm. um, I just want to say to all our our listeners, if you'd like to explore these ideas further, um, and there's so many more additional resources on how to build a family team at familyteams.com. Um, they have, as they've indicated, some wonderful training programs as well as their own podcast. Uh, please check it out. Yeah. Thank you, both of you, Jeremy and April. And um, we hope our paths cross again in person at some point. That would Absolutely. be great. Thank you guys so much. So Thanks good to meet you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Oh, and of course, our, joy. all of our listeners, you can access resources and more episodes of the Family Life Canada podcast on our website at familylifecanada.com. Uh, we're just want you to know Canadian families, we're, we're behind you, we're praying for you, and mm-hmm. we've got your back. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.